listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have a very interesting episode. Well, aren't they always? Of course, I would say that, wouldn't I? But but it is interesting. I'm telling you the absolute truth because today we are talking about engaging and managing remote teams. We're talking about the opportunities, the risks and tips and traps along the way. And in order to talk about this topic, we have on board Scott Trevithan, founder and managing director of Go Global Bookkeeping. Go Global is an offshore bookkeeping and account leasing business based in Cebu in the Philippines. And with over 70 team members who are all fully qualified accountants, Scott is in the perfect position to be talking about this topic today. And Go Global Bookkeeping are also a client of Aspect Legal as well. So it makes it an extra special discussion. So if you have a business or an accounting practice and you have been considering whether to engage with remote teams, or perhaps you even have a remote team yourself, but are wondering how it is that you can approach engagement and management and some of the general and also legal risks and tips and tricks for dealing with remote and offshore teams, then buckle in because in the next 30 minutes, we're going to give you a lot of information that you might find very useful. So here we go with our discussion with Scott. Hello, Scott. Welcome aboard the Deal Room podcast. I'm so excited to have you on board. Thrilled to be here. Fabulous. Fabulous. You know, Scott, I love your energy. So I think this is going to be such an energetic discussion we're going to have today. I'll I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, we're talking today all about the opportunities, risks, tips and tricks in um, engaging and managing remote teams. Um, And of course, this is a topic very close to your heart. Indeed, it's close to mine as well. But maybe, Scott, why don't we kick it off by you giving us a little bit of the background of um, why you're here talking about this topic today? Absolutely. Um, I was fortunate enough to run an accounting firm uh, in Melbourne for around about 16 years. And as part of that, we wanted to uh, try and get access to to the low-cost labour market uh, in any jurisdiction. So I went over to the Philippines to discover a bit about it for myself and found out that the accountants over there were very skilled, very willing and um, very affordable. So from a business perspective, it certainly made a lot of sense. Mm. Um, and, And equally as productive as someone that you would employ locally as well. So as a small accounting firm, uh, it, it definitely made sense for us. So I developed that team, nurtured that team over a few years and then built this capability um, of managing the team and and someone suggested to me, why don't we do this for other accounting firms and for Australian businesses in general and therefore Go Global Bookkeeping was born. Mm. Um, so as a side project, really as a passion project to start with, 
Uh, I sold my accounting firm 18 months ago and now I'm full-time on Go Global and, and just loving building that team. And now we're up to about 70 uh, accountants that work on a range of different businesses from accounting firms, uh, bookkeepers, uh, and Australian businesses, both small and big as well. So it's quite exciting. We've even got New Zealand businesses in there as well. So Really interesting. Yeah. Fabulous. 70, I mean, that's quite the team you've got yourself now. That's, um, that's quite a few people to manage. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, I think one of the things that we tend to underestimate in the West is, uh, or in, in the first world, if you like, is the the skills and talents that are available that are coming through the university uh, systems in the third world countries like mm. Philippines, Vietnam, mm. Malaysia to an extent, um, and, and India as well, that, that there are some really skilled people that are good at management. Mm. That, so you can get some really good managers there without having to be there all the time yourself, uh, which is what I've been able to do. So I travel backwards and forwards. Um, obviously, during COVID, I don't travel at all. So, uh, but I'm very confident <laughs> that the team are being very well managed, you know, by themselves because we've set those processes up. Mm, fabulous, and and I guess you know just um, to give some background um, uh, in order uh, to be clear um, at Aspect Legal, we we also have uh, some of our admin team who are remote um, in the Philippines, and we just I just love the interaction of different cultures. I just think it's um, a fabulous fabulous thing. But I want to talk first about there's lots of things that I want to talk about. Firstly. However, um, I want to start with, um, you, you know, some objections that I hear and let, let's talk um, about those because there are some classic things that I hear as objections quite often. Um, firstly, uh, I, I think there's this thing about stay local, you know, keep jobs local, which which personally I find interesting because my viewpoint on it is, why just because someone's born in Australia does that mean that they have a better right to a job than someone who's born somewhere else? So that's my general, you know, feeling on it. But it's certainly something that comes up quite a bit. Do, do you have any thoughts on that, Scott? Yeah, quite a, quite a few actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, a few things on that. Like, so protectionism has never really served Australia well. So what we ended up with was. Uh, vehicles that cost a lot more than any other country. Um, I, I remember, you know, studying in university the the protectionism around our footwear industry mm. um, and how boots were so much more expensive. And yes, we were fostering manufacturing here in this country. We were finding jobs for people, but at rates that were much much higher than any other country. And at the same time, we were building in a cost of living in Australia that I don't think has served us all that well over the years, mm. um, just my view. Um, we are, and, and it's, that's really what we're talking about, protectionism of Australian jobs versus anyone else overseas that might be able to do just as good a job. Mm. Now, with the advent of cloud accounting of, of the internet in general, it's really opened up the ability for low-cost labour markets to come into uh, first world countries, which they do. Um, make no mistake, the large companies that a lot of SMEs that make this sort of objection are using offshore labour. We've mm. seen our manufacturers go uh, predominantly offshore, uh, if not solely offshore. Um, we've certainly seen the large accounting firms and the large law firms 
are absolutely sourcing um, accountants and lawyers from offshore. They're reducing their costs and increasing their returns for their shareholders and making it just harder and harder and harder for small and medium-sized businesses in Australia to compete. Mm. And we've always, the SME market's always been a market that uh, has been the largest employer of Australians uh, in, in general, in our economy. Um, I think that role's always taken for granted by governments and it's taken for granted by small and medium-sized businesses as well who really sacrifice profits in order to make sure that there are people that are employed with mm. them. And I say, look, you know what, it's time for small and medium-sized business owners to get rewarded for all the risks and all of the hard effort that they put in to building and sustaining our economy. Mm. Start getting the returns that the shareholders of big companies get. Yeah, and they can absolutely. do that by accessing globalisation. So mm. the other thing is from a, you know, we just have to accept as, as more artificial intelligence comes in, we just have to accept that as people who are located in Australia, our jobs either have to get, you know, you just can't afford to sit down and do the sort of crunching sort of jobs, you know, that the generation before were doing. So or, or certainly me when I started off as an, and as an accountant adding up manually, um, you know, great big trial balances mm. what um you know obviously automation's taken over that um we we get to do more exciting things so it opens up opportunities for first world people like people's living in australia to do more exciting jobs and those other jobs can get relegated to the low-cost labor markets where uh they can start doing it but make my mistake those low-cost labor markets are catching up in terms of their experience and education, and everyone needs to compete on a global stage now. Mm, mm, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And what are, what are other general objections or issues that you hear being raised? Often they're dependent upon the situation that someone's offshored before and had a yes. bad experience. Yes, so, yes. And there's so many of those, aren't there? Because I think this whole offshoring thing is something that, um, you know, most SMEs, almost all SMEs have heard of, and they've all, it's um, so prolific that everyone's got an example of a, if they haven't themselves, they've got an example of a friend that's tried. But but the problem is many, many businesses approach this by a dabbling process. And I personally think this uh, this concept that someone that they offshore to will be able to do a million different tasks well rather than being really clear about what they're looking. It's more, it's more about the process. Absolutely. And, they they and call the that the unicorn virtual assistant, someone yeah. <laughs> that, that doesn't actually exist, but it's the, the business owner wants them to do their social media, their website marketing, their accounting, their bookkeeping, their, you know, whatever, travel bookings. Uh, and that, yeah, it's, it's, it is that unrealistic expectation. Mm. But I think that was born by... You know, businesses start off with, or business owners start off with Fivers and Upworks, try, mm. you know, project by project, what can I do to get someone to do it? And, of course, you those those people, and they could be located anywhere in the world that are bidding for work, you know, they'll disappear for weeks at a time or they, you know, they might do your job and then they're not there to do the next job and mm. people get frustrated um, at, at, at their experiences or 
they yeah they try it for a little bit they don't go really they don't really invest in it as if they were taking on a person in their own organization exactly that's the point you know for some bizarre reason that i really don't understand it's this viewpoint it's it's failing to view employing an offshore person as a team member yeah. rather than just as a random add-on that you can throw all of your you know random tasks to but there are, I mean, to a certain extent, that's the fault of the providers as well. So there are mm. certainly models. There's yes. lots and lots of different models out there in terms of how you can interact with uh, the low-cost labour markets. Um, so, so there's models where, say, from an accounting perspective, where you can send a job over and a group of people uh, will work on that job and finish it and get it ready for review and then you'll send it back to you. So you're not dealing one-on-one. It's really a process or it's a, you, you, you know, you're buying a result. And that can be hit or miss in terms of how that's done because you're not dealing with an actual team member that's dedicated to you. Mm. Um, and often when I talk to accountants about that, they get it starts off really well and then it starts the value starts to decline because more and more mistakes creep in and they realise that it's not the same people working on the jobs and they, they're losing mm. uh, time and efficiency mm. and, um, and they're making the same mistakes and it gets frustrating for accountants mm. who realise that they probably should have invested in a team member of their own mm. um, from a dedicated resource. But there are lots of different models that, that add to some of those frustrations around productivity and skills and mistakes and mm. things like that. Mm. Just the same, I, mean, I, want, I want, you know, I think the answer to a lot of that productivity issues and, and, and errors that creep in is when you think about when you hire a graduate or, or an intermediate accountant uh, in your accounting firm, uh, it, it does take 6, 12 months to really get that person to, to be productive the way that you want them to be productive. Mm. Um, now, I'll match my guys, my accountants with a graduate or an intermediate accountant um, locally in terms of productivity and efficiency any day because, the you know, accountants are accountants no matter where they are. Mm. Um, it's just that, you you know, the, the expectation has to be, yeah, I'm going to get this person up and firing, you know, within three to six months mm. and then in two years they'll be my senior accountant, they'll be doing wonderful things. And that's what we did in our accounting firm and, and it really pays dividends. That's an engine room now that just keeps producing the accounts and mm. so that the accountants here in Australia can just add value to clients and give advice and take meetings, So, um, which is what mm. the work that they really want to do in the first place. Mm. Well, let's talk about some of those tips and tricks then, I guess, and maybe also traps in managing and engaging your remote teams in order to avoid some of these issues that we've seen play out that contribute to this this comment that you know Barney down the road tried it and it worked out crap yeah or I tried it it worked out crap whatever you know what what are our tips and tricks here well again I think it's a mindset one is the first and foremost which is to say I am hiring someone for my business, and this is going to be a. And, and I really recommend the mo- the model that you have a a discrete person, a person. This is Joe. Joe mm. is going to work for your business, dedicated as a full time employee. Yeah, thirty seven and a half hours or thirty eight hours a week. Um, they are yours, um, mm. and treat them like that. Make sure, even though they're not physically located in your office, now we're all used to because of COVID. We're all used to this remote. Uh, working, treat them as if they're part of your team, mm. which means um, 
actively manage what they're doing, actively have a, have a training program for them as well, have a, have a development program for them, invest in them in, in mm. their time, and, they, and the returns to you will be tenfold. Mm. The things like, you know, from a practical perspective, uh, daily huddles involve your team member in a, in a huddle if that's what you have or mm. a weekly workflow meeting, in, involve them in that meeting because that, and- you know, I, I just have to throw in here um, daily huddles. So we um, we use daily, daily huddles here at Aspect Legal um, and it's something that I'd heard about for years and I thought it was one of these things that really suited, you know, tech firms or, you know, not the traditional law firm, accounting firm. And it wasn't until someone that I, I really highly respected who runs a large accounting firm said, you, you, know, you know what, we, we run huddles. I'm like, you run huddles? Oh, my gosh, if you can do it, my team can do it, you know, and and we've implemented it and we've been running daily huddles for maybe two years now and it's just uh, just so it's the communication flow between an organisation. Ours are a maximum of nine-minute huddle each morning, so super quick, fast communication flow but also helps team, team I think, when, when there is a remote element and, you know, um, most businesses uh, have a, at least some component that's remote now because of COVID, even if you're all in Australia, right? Absolutely. So if we've got the technology for remote workers to be part of a, a session, then then it, it absolutely pays dividends. I know the guys that bought, the two guys came in and bought my accounting firm and they they first viewed the whole huddle thing with great suspicion, thinking, yeah, right. you know, yeah, we're yeah. not going to keep this practice. But here they are, 18 months, two years down the track, and they wouldn't dream of doing anything different. And I think mm. that's typical of um, people who experience the huddle mm. as, a, as a means of bringing the team together very quickly. Uh, and it just it just helps you for the rest of the day, doesn't it? But mm. but because of technology, it means that we don't always have to be in the same room to do these huddles. We can do partly remote, partly physical, mm. uh, but it really helps bring the whole team on the on the same page. And that's the biggest ma- management thing I think from an offshoring perspective Brilliant. is to make sure that your team member feels part of your team. Um, that's do you know what that's I'm I'm so with you and um and, and I think that is just such an important element. Once again, it's a comment that is as applicable to a business that just has people based in Australia as well, but absolutely applicable to uh, people who have remote or offshore teams. The importance of pulling everyone together, you know, and having that team culture, I, I think is just really underrated in many instances. And definitely for people with remote teams, it's something that we um, really try hard to focus on. So let's talk about that. What does that mean to you? How do you create a, a team environment um, within your team? So you've got 70 who are offshore. So how is it? What does team team mean for you? How do you do that? Yeah, and, and it comes right to, you know, we call them team members, not employees, because yeah. um, when I established Go Global, I was, for, when I bought into a, a, an accounting firm, I had 40 years of, of tradition and history and clients that, that meant that it was really difficult to form a culture. And so with Go Global Bookkeeping, I had a chance to start with a blank page. Mm. So I wanted something to be fun, vibrant, young, and I wanted to make it a family type of environment that we all cared about each other. So I had the ability to do that right from the word go. And we, you know, we're very focused heavily on the core values of Go Global 
Um, you know, we call uh, our tribe members are called Globers, um, and, <laughs> and they really love that sort of interaction. And then there's a lot of, um, you know, they have daily huddles as well uh, within our own teams, but also um, we have weekly meetings and then monthly everyone gets together for a bit of a rewards, awards, you know, accountant of the month. Um, mm. And, and we, we support that with both financial incentives as well as other type of, you know, plaques and, and certificates and things like that, which really just are a recognition. It's the sort of stuff that we should be doing in Australia as well. Mm. Um, it's just, rec- especially with the, the millennials in terms of, and not just the millennial, I'm not picking on them, I'm just saying <laughs> everyone likes to be recognised for their efforts and mm. we certainly do a lot in, in regards to that. Mm. Um, and everyone knows that then they're, they're part of a team. We make sure we do things like annual conferences, which has had to be this this year's annual conferences had to be put on hold because of the COVID issues. But prior to that, every year I'd take the team away and we do some sort of team building activities. Um, we make sure we have Christmas parties and and other get-togethers that that when new team members come on board, uh, I take them out for a, a new team member lunch. And, you know, we just get to know each other. So there's a personal connection between me and the team members as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it works and like a family. One of the things that I um, have done for the past, um, I don't know, like four or five years is I've gone, well, no, I can't do it this year, just just saying uh, is to go over to the Philippines um, and to see my team, which, you, you know, I love travel, so I love that. Anyway, Philippines um, has some, you know, amazing stuff to do. So, so you know, it's certainly no impost to do that. But just the, the, the fact of making an effort to meet the people face to face that you work with every day, I just think is um, is such a useful activity. And I've got to say, snorkeling and diving is just <laughs> outrageously good in the Philippines. But um, but do you? Uh, I'm interested to understand. I'm sure you yourself um, head over to the Philippines. But do your clients who um, uh, saw staff through you ever go and meet their teams? And, and what's the feedback on that if they do? They do, um, and tremendous feedback, and, and mm. exactly that. So, and we always encourage our clients to come over and visit. Um, we don't, we don't say it's necessary. You don't have to come over. And that's part of the full service offering that we do is to make sure that they don't need to go over and train mm. their team members or, 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 or see them or involve them in their team because we're making sure that they're well taken care of within the Go Global family. However they really do increase their productivity um, mm. and the, and just the caring of the team member if they can see their client and they know that their client made an effort to come over. Um, it, it is a bit of an effort. It is a bit of a, a journey to get to where <laughs> we're based in Cebu City. Um, it's, you know, depending on the time of day, it could be an hour from the airport in, in very heavy traffic and it's not the most uh, tropical of settings. You know, I love the whole thought of, you know, a beautiful island with, palm trees and, and sandy beaches. Unfortunately, they're about two and a half, three hours away from where we're based, so right. I don't to see that too much. 
um, even diving and snorkeling is a bit of an effort. But, but certainly we've had clients come over and they base themselves in the Shangri-La or yes, in the, yes, in yes. some of the beautiful resorts that are in Mactan. Yes. And then they'll come over and they'll spend a few days with their team and then they'll go over and they'll do some diving and spend some time with their spouses and have a bit of a holiday at the same time. So it's, um, you know, it certainly be, can be combined, but the rewards are immense. Uh, I would I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, I, and I just think that, you know, I, I've certainly experienced that. But um, the other component for me is also... It, also understanding culture uh, a little bit more and and not just me understanding culture i think my team understanding our culture as well because there there are cultural differences there absolutely are and i think it helps to understand that there are i mean we're an aussie business um so and when i say that they've always just been deal, used to dealing with australians and australian clients and you know we're very australian centric so we spend a lot of time them understanding the, the Australian culture. So there's certainly no strangers to it right from day one. Um, but that's right. That you, nothing they love more than introducing the Filipino and especially the Cebuano culture, which is slightly different from the you know Manila and Clark areas, um, the Cebuanos, the, which is the, the south areas, the, the Visayan type of areas, uh, has, a, has a slightly different culture. And, you know, the, the beautiful foods that they have, which I never really understood but you know they love showing you the foods they love mm. you know demonstrating their culture as well and giving their clients an understanding of um of, of what they're all about and it really helps just bring everyone together at the end of the day what that does is it just improves their commitment to you and massively improves their productivity because they're just so much more motivated to work hard and please you mm, mm, absolutely and let's not forget Fidioki. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm a massive fan, massive, massive fan. <laughs> um, okay, all right. Let's think about the legal side here. Uh, what is it that you think businesses who are outsourcing really should be thinking about from a legal perspective and maybe where you sort of step in and, and um, assist, you, you know, to create that buffer for your clients? Because there are a few considerations, you know, and, and I guess before we do that, let's just step back and make it really clear what the different ways of sourcing offshore uh, that, that businesses use. So I guess there's the... There's the obvious simple model of just sourcing someone yourself um, and doing it yourself. Um, what else have you seen, yeah. Scott? So, great points. I mean, there's really the contractor relationship that you that you can have with uh, a person. And, and I can only really talk about the Philippines. It's the only place that I've got experience with dealing mm. with the law in relation to labour. Um, so, it's okay to have one or two contractors uh, that you hire. Once you get beyond that, and it doesn't matter whether they're together in the same office or they're part. The Department of Labor and Employment, which is called DOLE, and everyone, when, when you hear the term DOLE, uh, everyone who has a business in the Philippines gets a little bit of a cold shiver because <laughs> they are they can literally go in and shut you down overnight. Mm. They can sequester bank accounts. They're a very powerful organization. And they're there to protect the employment rights of uh of Filipinos, so uh, against especially us robber barons from other countries. Not that mm. we're robber barons, but that's that's sometimes <laughs> how the view seems to be. Um, so there's that contractor relationship we can certainly have. But once you get you know more than a few contractors on your team, then Dolo would consider it that they need to have a proper employment status. Um, 
Now, a, a foreign company can't employ Filipinos. So you need to have a local company or at least a recognised foreign branch. So you need to have a local entity, the same as we would have in Australia. So that there's requirements for, for you to have a Filipino company that uh, employs people. And then the employment rights that the Filipinos have, uh, I think, greater than the employment rights that they might have in Australia. So the, the thought that you can go in and hire people and then just get rid of them whenever you want without cause is really a fallacy. You need to make sure that, that you go through all of the hoops that you need. You certainly need to jump through in Australian jurisdictions as well if you are hiring them the proper way. And then, of course, there's all things like their equivalent to superannuation and they've also got public housing element to their withholdings and they've got... Um, healthcare benefits that are like more akin to the US system. So, you know, you don't have to give, they don't have Medicare, they don't have a general health benefit, but you can have private health cover that you pay for these people as well. So once you get, if you want to employ someone properly, then there there's a lot of complexities that are involved in doing that that give a lot of protection for team members and give them a lot of safety and security as well. Mm. Uh, but from a contractor level, anyone can go and hire anyone from, the internet mm. nowadays and they can work from home and there's some risks and rewards for doing that as well. Mm. And then what's the benefit of a model of using something like your organisation as opposed to, you know, a lot of people for many years have used stuff like the Elance or whatever, which I think is Upwork now and, yeah. you, you know, those sort of freelancer contracting sites. Yeah, and, and there's lots of, there's also job boards and all sorts of things that people can do to approach, they don't even need to pay the fees for Upwork anymore. Um, they can they can go directly to um, you know to post jobs for and and people working from home will gladly do that. The risks in relation to that are really around security of information. So mm. certainly, if you're dealing in an environment an environment where you have to be concerned about the privacy of the document of your own clients or customers. Um, and you're, you've got that information, you need, to, under our privacy laws, you need to make sure that you are aware of the, the situation that that information is being dealt with uh, if it's in an offshore jurisdiction. So mm. if someone's worked from home, there's no way that you can attest to the fact that those documents are being properly cared for and that information is being safeguarded. Mm. There's also the element of um, security around power or security of power and internet. So Typically, a home-based worker would uh, be in areas that wouldn't have a consist consistent internet connection and consistent power as well. So often, third-world countries, especially the Philippines, are plagued by earthquakes and uh, typhoons, um, other natural disasters that come through, and that has big effects on people who are working from home. Oh, the other the other thing is productivity. So often, we've heard some horror stories around if you're not actively managing what people who are working from home are doing, then it's quite often that they will, just, just their enterprising nature, they might have two or three full-time clients. Uh, they might even employ brothers and sisters to, you know, actors themselves to do work. You just never know who it is that's actually doing the work that's representing themselves to be the person that you thought you were employing. Mm. So when you're dealing with organisations such as ourselves, we, you know, we do everything by the book in terms of making sure that we recruit correctly, we, we comply with all of the local laws, we pay taxes in the Philippines, and we're trying to be good corporate citizens there. We have our own offices, which means that we can safeguard the security of people's information. We can make sure that only people who are supposed to be 
are working on our computers, are working on our computers. Um, we use biometrics for people to enter the office. Um, so there's all those sort of, and we're making sure that they're being productive, that they're doing the work that they're supposed to be doing at any point in time. So there's a lot more safeguards. Of course, that comes at a cost, uh, but there's a lot more safeguards in using um, a firm that that does that, a labour hire, a labour source company that's gone to all the trouble um, of employing people correctly uh, and, and making sure that those safeguards are in place compared to a do-it-yourself model uh, where you're just sort of throwing... Uh, Throwing your fate to the to the winds, really. And what are other things? You, you know, I guess we're headed soon to a wrap up here. But are, are there any sort of last areas that you think it's worth mentioning for for, for businesses? And and of course, you um, primarily deal with accounting firms, um, accounting practices who are um, looking to offshore. What what are there any other considerations for them in in making this decision and making the decision of how how they do it if that's what they're looking to do? Yeah, I think I think um, one of the last things that I would consider is uh, in relation to um, what to do if something goes wrong. So, what sort of protections have you got in place if the party that you're contracting with doesn't do the right thing or that the staff member that you're using um, takes your information and uses it illegally. Mm. When things go horribly wrong, we don't like to think that that will happen and we like to think that our own systems are such that, um, you know, we wouldn't uh, be exposed to that kind of risk for either our businesses or our clients. Um, However, those sort of things do occur from time to time. So, I'm, I think it's worth considering whether you deal with an Australian company like Go Global is an Australian-based company, so we hold indemnity insurance here. You can sue us in an Australian jurisdiction if you're dealing directly with a Philippines-based company. Oh, we're not inviting people to do that, Scott. Let's be clear. <laughs> Please that... don't sue me. Please, Please don't sue me. My insurers won't be, won't be happy with that at all. Um, Sorry, continue. but you can if you need to. It's always a fallback resort for you. Um, whereas if you if you're contracting with a Philippines-based business, you really are relying on the Philippines jurisdiction court. It's going to be very difficult to get a satisfactory resolution. Uh, even so, it's it's kind of like they'll all care, but no responsibility. I think if you're dealing with an Australian-based business, then you've got all care and all responsibility, and you can make sure that they've got the, the appropriate indemnity insurance to back up any um, a- any risk that they might have as well. I think that's a really good point. That That is such a, because <laughs> jurisdiction can make, t- taking any sort of action to enforce, you know, contractual or other rights, extraordinarily difficult. But, but of course, that comes back to um, uh, the, the way, uh, you, you know, you have agreements set up as well. And I, and I guess ultimately you need to um, make sure that you have with your own staff, you know, agreements that are dealing with confidentiality and, um, you know, um, compliance with legislation like the Privacy Act and all of those sorts of things. But, but one of the things I, I just want to throw in is um, I've had this discussion uh, with many businesses over time time about having cross um, border contracts or, or or contracts at all um, in jurisdictions where sometimes it can be enforceability can be a little bit more difficult my general point just to throw in my two cents here um, from a legal perspective is that um, I think generally people 
want to do the right thing. Um, you know, this is a, a fairly general motherhood statement, but I think one of the most important things that an agreement can do or a contract can do is to clearly set out the relationship and the expectations of both parties. And this comes back to, and I think maybe it also comes back to management as well, um, that your the, the tone that you use in agreements and the tone that you use in management and any other documents that are used must be appropriate to the culture and the understanding of the people who are receiving them. Otherwise, the document itself will be of no use. I, I guess what I'm saying is uh, it's a call out for sim simpler agreements and more easy to read agreements in situations like this because, you know, ultimately I think the point is you want to, you want to ensure that um, there is compliance because everyone understands the rules of engagement that you've set up between yourselves. And that applies just as well to uh, contracts, I guess, as to just the way that you onboard and manage and deal with and, and engage with your um, remote team workers. Absolutely. Simple is good. Of course, we're going to make sure we've got you to make sure that our terms and conditions <laughs> are, uh, you know, in legal speak. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, I've always been big on saying, you know, simple is good because otherwise people don't understand. A hundred percent. I wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely. Well, that's it. Any lasting thoughts there? I get, actually, I, I can't help but um, but ask for I love stories, and I just love to hear you, you know um, stories of great successes. Can can you think back to what uh, you know might be an example of you know a practice that you've dealt with that perhaps wasn't sure or whatever came to you and 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 has just had a rip roaring success out of you know offshoring. Absolutely, unfortunately, it's it's the majority that will do will have that sort of experience. So. I've got a guy, I actually uh, met him at a CrossFit gym of all places and um, <laughs> he decided to go out on his own. He was with partnership with someone else and he decided to go out on his own and he took, he took one team member from the combined business that he was in but really needed some production muscle. So he's been with us for just over 12 months now. This will be his second tax season coming through uh, and he's just been able to delegate all of the tax work to his accountant that works through Go Global. Um, really freeing up his time to do what he likes to do, which is schmooze the clients and go out to lunch and really enjoy himself. He's taken on a second accountant now to make sure as he grows, uh, because he's been able to do that, bring in more business, he's just going to build his team up overseas and he's really seized the opportunity to do that. Um, he's been able to do that very, very profitably. So his fee base didn't need to be as high um, for him to get to that stage where he could really reduce the number of hours that he was working in his business. So he's got a bit of a lifestyle business, but he's able to build at the same time because of the cost that he's put into his accounting firm is a lot less. Mm -hmm. And the great news is this morning he rang me up and said the partner that he split with is now so keen about what he's doing that he's going to come to Go Global and get an accountant as well. So we'll wow. hopefully see another success story along those. But it's but really that is a, a typical experience. It's, you know, a couple of months of bumpiness, uh, then off and running, and then within three to six months it's just why didn't we do this sooner is the sort of approach that is the sort of question that most of the, our accounting clients would say. 
I love it, Scott. Well, it's a good news story all round, isn't it? Absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> look, this was a really fascinating discussion, and um, you know, I think we've um, we've ticked off a lot of uh, you know discussion points that come up on uh, around this topic. Um, so I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed your time here too, Absolutely, Scott. Absolutely, thank you so much. Wonderful. Now, if any of our listeners are keen to find out how they might be able to um, do some work with you, Scott, and go global, how do they find you? Um, well, I'm everywhere. So <laughs> find me on LinkedIn, Scott Trevithan uh, on LinkedIn, or go to our website. It's probably the easiest place. It's just www.goglobalbookkeeping.com, and there's all my contact details are on there. Uh, love to have a chat if anyone wants to have a chat. And I'm always very free with my time, so no obligation. If you just want to chat, you're not quite sure which direction to, to go, love to have a chat too. And I have to say, you're just an all-round lovely guy too, Scott. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Look, I've loved it. Great discussion today, Scott. Thank you so much for coming on to Talking Law. It's been my pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of Talking Law. And of course, in this episode, we're talking all about the concept of remote and offshore staffing and teams, the opportunities, the risks, the tips and the traps, of course. Now, look, if you'd like more information about this topic, then all you need to do is head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au. And over at that website, we will provide you the opportunity to get a free download of the transcript of this episode if you're the kind of person who just loves to uh, read your podcast in more detail. Now, through that website, you'll also be able to find the contact details of Scott and Go Global Bookkeeping. And of course, on that episode, you will also be able to find out how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you would like help with any of the items we covered today. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Are you looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a time for a free discussion with one of our lawyers. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.